The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I'm very glad that you're listening, and I want to thank you also for liking the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page and for making comments on that page, and thank you so much for participating uh, here with us on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your Unity community know about Spirit of Recovery, and it's great to be broadcasting about uh, spirituality and recovery right here on unityonlineradio.org. And I am so glad to know that what uh, we're doing here is making a difference for you, that the guests that I bring are touching your heart, opening your mind, and giving you some new ideas and some inspiration, some experience, strength, and hope about the process of recovery. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative, with people who are in recovery themselves or who are working with or writing for or teaching uh, people in recovery or teaching about spirituality and oftentimes all of the above. And my guests are always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen, uh, obviously, via your computer, via your smartphone. You can go to Stitcher.com. You can download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. Also, if you have an Alexa-enabled environment, enabled device you can um, go there you can ask it to play unity online radio and uh, search for spirit of recovery you can listen that way we've got lots of great podcasts on our website so if you want to listen at your own leisure go to unity online radio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery and you can listen to a great program anytime you want I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, so if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you are the family member or friend of someone with the disease of addiction, you are welcome here. You may or may not already be in a recovery process, or perhaps you're just curious about the process of recovery. Whatever your circumstance, I'm very glad that you're here, and you're welcome to uh, join in. If you have a comment or question for my guest on the topic of the day, uh, you can email or call in and we'd be happy to entertain that. Um, I want you to know also that if you like what's happening on unityonlineradio.org and you'd like to support financially this nonprofit venture to, as you enjoy Spirit of Recovery and the other great programs, you can uh, give a do- financial donation. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone and you can give a one-time or an ongoing donation. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and also an addictions counselor. And I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And 35 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And my walk continues to be an integration of unity principles and recovery principles. And that walk 
keeps richly transforming my life and keeps me growing. So I'm delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you about spirituality and recovery and also to hear what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. Well, today we have a, a very interesting program. It's uh, The title is Have Recovery, Will Travel, Hope for Expats and Other Intrepid Travelers. And my guest is Kay D. And Kay is a person who has maintained her recovery and also her participation in unity and working with the unity principles as she has lived outside of the United States. So she's going to be sharing with us about that and some other aspects about her recovery. And what Kay's going to be talking with us about today is that with commitment and hard work that you can take your recovery with you wherever you travel or live. Even if you're living in a country where there is little or no recovery community, you can still work the principles, you can still maintain your freedom from addictive behaviors, and you can still grow. My guest, K.D., is in long-term recovery from the serious disease of food addiction, and she's also a Unity student. She has traveled the world, and she has maintained her abstinence and developed her spiritual life. And she's going to be sharing how she has kept these principles of recovery with her and how she's made a conscious decision to tap into the unity principles while overseas, even though she didn't have any face-to-face contact with unity communities. She uh, has been in recovery for nine and a half years from food addiction. She participates in the fellowship Food Addicts in Recovery, and uh, that you can visit that website at foodaddicts.org and learn more about that. And she um, has, as I said, she's lived overseas. She has... She Soon after she got into recovery, she moved to the African continent with her family and started a new chapter in her journey. She says she's been in recovery on the West Coast, the East Coast, Uganda, Mauritius, and she's been to uh, 12-step meetings in Bangkok, Kampala, Barcelona, Istanbul, and in the middle of the Indian Ocean. So I am very eager to hear all you have to share with us. Okay, and also I'll just say you, you've had many jobs in your life and currently you're a teacher and a writer and you write regularly for Connection Magazine, which offers stories of experience, strength and hope for those suffering from food addiction. So, and she's also an avid Spirit of Recovery listener. So welcome to be my guest today on Spirit of Recovery, Kay. Thank you so much, Anna. It's so nice to be here. I've been listening for um, several years now and, um, what a treat it is to talk to you live. Yes, for sure. Yeah, it's great. And I appreciate uh, Kay posts and um, shares her thoughts. And it's it's great. Yeah, it's really great to actually talk to you. And um, I'm just excited to hear all you've got to share with us. So tell us a little bit, first of all, about food addiction. Um, sometimes that's one of those addictions that uh, maybe is a little bit more difficult for people to understand. So how does how does that happen? And um, what's food addiction all about? Well, you know, it was hard for me to understand as well. <laughs> so um, I guess, you know, it all started, you know, I, I, I think the more I've been in these recovery rooms, what I've found is that very few of us come skipping into the door with a wreath of flowers around our head and birds singing and we're happy to be there. So for me, I was at a very low point in my life, and um, I was not very willing when I came in the door, but I didn't know what other options were available to me, and I was so beaten down that I was willing to kind of try anything. So um, I didn't even know food addiction existed or that I was a food addict until I had attended several meetings, (laughs) and I started to sort of understand this idea. So, um, you know, what I've come to find out, and, you know, I've, I've been studying, um, we studied the literature that, that uh, AA was based on. So we, you know, I've read the big book, um, studied Bill, Bill Wilson's life and Dr. Bob and all that kind of stuff. And what I learned about addiction um, and alcoholism and any kind of addiction is that it's really a spectrum. So coming in the room, I heard stories of all kinds of different people. Um, that that called themselves food addicts. I heard stories from people who had been anorexic and were underweight. 
I heard stories from people who were bulimic. I heard stories of people that had been morbidly obese. I heard stories of people who came in the room with no weight to lose, but they just felt completely insane around food. So what I've sort of come to to realize for myself is that perhaps there's a spectrum idea here with food addiction. And, and I think the reason I had such a hard time coming in and accepting that maybe I myself was a food addict was because I just hurt. I had a very negative connotation with the word addict, as I think maybe many people do. And I really didn't want to, you know, I thought addicts were people that um, maybe were homeless or lived on the street or they pushed shopping carts and lived under bridges or, or you know, something very far away from my own reality. And what I came to find out was that um, addiction doesn't really discriminate and addiction mm-hmm. doesn't care uh, how much money we have in the bank or what kind of family we came from or what type of car we have in the driveway. Um, you know, addiction is addiction is addiction. And I think, um, you know, if we watch the news at all today, we can see all kinds of addiction striking all kinds of different socioeconomic populations. Um, you know, it's not just uh, sort of, you know, the shameful kind of hobos on the street type of thing anymore. It's really widespread. But, um, you know, I, I, can't, I figured out I was a food addict because I was just really, really miserable. And mm-hmm. um, I had tried, you know, I had really tried all kinds of diets my whole life um, and thought I was winning at the diet game. So, you know, I wasn't, my top weight on this planet was 243 pounds and I'm only five, three and a half. So that's not, mm-hmm. and that's only the weight I know of. I don't know what I really was um, because as it got, that, that was a weight close to when I had um, gave birth to my second child um, 10 years ago. And as it, the day grew more and more near for her birth, I couldn't bear to look at the scale anymore as it, as it kept creeping up. So, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, we kind of have to do some soul searching and say, well, you know, how do I know I'm a food addict? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, when I, when I tell my story in a meeting, I, I think back on my childhood and one of the clues is I was looking for things to eat that weren't food. So, um, you know, I was looking through my mother's medicine cabinet and I was, I was looking for delicious treats in the medicine cabinet. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I love, I love to eat St. Joseph's baby aspirin, the orange flavored ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to eat dye gels, you know, they, that's precursor to Tums. So I'm giving away my age here with these products that may not exist anymore, but mm-hmm. I love to eat Tums uh, or dye gel. And uh, mm-hmm. my favorite was um, Pearl Drops tooth polish. So mm-hmm. when I when I look back over it, I could see that from a young age, I was kind of looking for this, you know, this hit of something sweet. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I should also say that in my family growing up, you know, and I think this is true for many families, food is love. Many cultures, anywhere you go around the world, food is really something to, to show love and to celebrate. And right now we're in the holiday season and, um, you know, this is what we do. So there was a lot of abundance of food at my house and I don't remember ever being put any kind of boundaries around it, around the food. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was obsessed with my weight from a young age too. My mom hit in her bathroom. She had one of those doctor scales that's the detecto doctor scale. I can still see it clearly in my mind's eye. And it was the kind that has the weight that go across. And, um, I knew how to use that thing before I was 10 years old. And, and that's kind of complicated to use those mm-hmm. to go across. So, mm-hmm. and my mom used to tell stories. She used to tell sort of these legendary stories of <clears throat> being on diets and losing weight. And, you know, she got up to, you know, 200 pounds when she was pregnant with me. And then she got back down to 160 by the time her first thing. So I, I grew up hearing a lot of diet mythology Mm-hmm. That was normal talk in my household. So I thought that it was normal to to sort of be in a war with food and always be watching your weight and and this kind of stuff. That that mm-hmm. that was real normal to me. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I sort of gravitated toward other people that also were interested in these types of things. If, if uh, you know, my girlfriends in high school were people that like to eat with me or like to exercise with me. Um, and, and one of my friends, we used to go into the bathroom together and, uh, and practice bulimia after lunch. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this was sort of, and, 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 and again, it might seem extreme to somebody who's not, who doesn't know about these things, but, you know, this was just what I thought was normal. You know, I grew up listening to this sort of diet mythology and, and just thinking that, you know, um, this was normal. And right. Well, you so, know, um, yes. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to uh, say is that some people think that, okay, it's just food, so why can't you just stop, you know? Um, for, tell us more about that because it's not – that's not really how it is. If I mean – if you if you have a food addiction, and as you say, it comes in a lot of different forms. But tell us some more about that. Why can't you just say, oh, okay, that's enough. I'm just going to push away from the table here or not eat the snack or whatever. What's going on with that? How well, does that look? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great question. And I think <clears throat> this plays into sort of the history, and each person has to look for themselves and sort of come to these conclusions. But I don't think I have a pre-installed switch that tells me when I'm full or when I've had too much. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from, from studying the AA principles and about addiction in general is that it doesn't really matter what the substance is. So for me, it's certain kind of foods, let's say. But for other people, it could be alcohol or drugs or sex or gambling or, or anger, a behavior. But there's no... When other people would think, oh, that's too much, you know, like, for instance, a certain restaurant with, you know, cheesecake in the name, right? When Mm -hmm. I see people take one bite of that and they just push it away and they say it's too much, I I don't understand that. That doesn't compute for me. So I I can't have enough. There's, You know, we have a saying that I learned in the rooms that says one bite is too many and a thousand is not enough. You know, for me, I'm I'm never going to get enough of of these substances. And and what I want to really say about that is that this is for me, a mental obsession. So, and and the other thing I want the listeners to really understand too, you you can't see me, but for a long time in my life, I looked like a normal person. I didn't, um, I didn't weigh 150 pounds when I was eight years old or anything like that. And I can tell you the story of my life in numbers. One of my forms of my obsession is body weight obsession. So always knowing what I weighed, when I was in fifth grade, I weighed 100 pounds when all my friends weighed 80. And the reason I know that is because we went, I went on a ski trip with a, a, a dear friend. friend's dad took us skiing, and we had to say our weight so that they could adjust the bindings, and I was mortified. It sent, turned the blood to ice in my veins to have to say my weight out loud. Mm-hmm. And um, it's this obsession, this shame. It was a, it's a, a complete shame of... Um, being bigger than the other kids, always being really aware of um, how much I'm eating in front of other people, um, wanting to look normal, um, you know, having that 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 fight in my mind, that that hamster wheel going all the time. Well, I don't, I really want to eat the whole pie or whatever it is, but 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 I'm not going to because um, that that's not what they'll you know they'll think I'm too much. And so there's also a lot of secrecy that comes with addiction. So a lot of um, eating in secret, um, hiding things, sneaking things, and that sort of thing. So I think back to your original question, you know, why can't food addicts just push away from the table? If anybody is listening and they they know what I'm talking about, um, you know, I, I don't really have to explain it, but I think for normal people, it's really hard to understand why we can't just stop or push away. I mean, and this is what doctors tell us, you know, how many of us food addicts have gone to the doctor and they say, well, you're, you know, you're overweight. You just need to eat less. Well, you know, if, if, if we knew how to do that, we wouldn't be obese as a country, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think there is a, um, a genetic component, but, but also if you look at the studies and the research that are, that are coming out as well, it supports um, this theory that, and, and I don't have any uh, quotable studies that I could give you or scientific names, but there's a lot. If you Google it, you can find a lot of articles about 
sugar addiction in the brain and the brain scientists are studying the brain and they're seeing that when people take in sugar and even when rats or mice take in sugar, pure sugar, it lights up the brain the same way that cocaine lights up the brain. Mm-hmm. And so it's That's a very a pleasurable, it's a very pleasurable response. And um, I also think it's very seductive and, and we don't even know we're doing it because look at the kind of foods that we're feeding children, you know, the, the kind of foods we grew up on or whatever, you know, I grew up in the seventies. So, um, you know, I still kind of had to make something from scratch if I wanted, you know, something real sweet. But, you know, now today there's 24 hour fast food, restaurants are open all the time. Grocery stores are open all the time. Our society is really sort of um, saying that it's okay. You know, eat, eat all you want. You know, food's the one legal um, substance that, you know, people aren't really regulating. And I think, um, you know, our society kind of supports that. Like, and, and what, what do we give babies when they cry? Give them a bottle, give them something to eat. You know, it's a very natural human response to just, you know, give a baby food or turn to food. So I think, you know, each person has to decide for themselves when they cross that line. But um, for me, when I look back and I look at the fact that I really loved food, but I also loved looking a certain way and I didn't want the the weight to show up on my body. So what ended up happening in my particular case of food addiction was that I went into a lot of control and I wanted to control having the taste of the food, but I didn't want it to show up. So I started doing some tricks, you know, to try to Mm -hmm. get the feeling of the fullness or the food, but not let it show up on my body. So Mm -hmm. that looked like um, buying Dexatrim diet pills. I thought if I could just control my appetite, I, you know, I just thought control was the key. Right. What I hear in a lot of, um, I I go to AA meetings, I go to any recovery meetings I can over the years, and I hear a lot of alcoholics say, I thought when I came into AA, I was just going to learn to drink like a lady. I was just going to be a controlled drinker, you know. Um, I think that that all of us addicts are, are desperate for that. You know, why we look at our friends that aren't going crazy on the substance and we go, why, why can't we be like them? But, but in our, in our heart of hearts, I think we know, you know, that, that we take it too far. So I just thought, I just like to hang out with people who diet and I like to hang out with people who exercise. I didn't, I didn't even, again, until I came in to one of these rooms, uh, uh, this food addiction program room, I didn't even know there was such a thing as food addiction. And I, and I kind of rolled my eyes in case anybody out there may feel the same way I felt. I thought, well, this is ridiculous. What do you mean you're a food addict? Everyone's a food addict. If I don't eat, I'll die. And, and this is the other thing that sort of differentiates this disease and this program from, you know, there are many, many 12-step programs out there. God bless the founders of AA. You know, we have programs for any, anything that's plaguing us, we can go to. But <clears throat> for a lot of these addictions, we can just walk away from that. You know, if I'm an alcoholic, I don't have to go into the liquor store. If I'm a drug addict, I can maybe go into rehab or stay away from the junkies on the corner or wh- whatever that looks like, you know. But food is is around us all the time. And we look on TV and we see commercials and there's fast food on every block. And it's just in our face all the time. So, you know, I've got to take the tiger out of the cage three times a day. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and it's, and it can be a real challenge. So I don't, I don't know if I've exactly answered the question about, you know, people not being able to push away, but, um, you know, there's a questionnaire on the website that you gave the address to the foodaddicts.org mm-hmm. and, and the, the people in, in the program have developed this questionnaire of 20 questions that people can ask themselves if they think they, they might be a food addict. And what are um, some of those questions? Do you have some, uh, just any that you call, bring to mind that uh, they ask that are on that little test? Yes, yes. And I, I, I haven't memorized them all, <clears throat> but um, the questions really revolve more around having the mental obsession. So mm-hmm. the question, one of the questions is, um, have you tried to, to diet many times and find yourself losing the weight and gaining the weight over and over and over? You know, if you're a yo-yo dieter, that may be a sign. Um, do you find yourself 
thinking about the next meal when you haven't even finished the one that you're eating. Do Are we planning our day around the food? You know, do I not want to go to this event or this or this certain thing because there's not going to be the food there that I want? Um, again, it's more of a, of a mental kind of obsession. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, for me personally, you know, that took the form of um, going on that doctor scale in my mom's bathroom, as I described, and weighing myself many times a day and really being really attached to what that scale said. And if the scale said a certain number, I could have a good day. And if the number wasn't the number I wanted to see, then I really wanted to punish myself with exercise and, and restricting my food until I could get the the weight to say, the scale to say the weight I wanted. Um, right. You know, one thing, too, um, Kay, is that, and, and you had indicated this to me when we were sort of corresponding, uh, setting up this this topic today and it's true that food addiction is dangerous people don't always get that either but already you've listed a lot of things that are dangerous to your health that that were occurring using the diet pills um the the bulimia which is the throwing up after a meal the as you're saying in a sense maybe over exercising or exercising in a way that was maybe harmful or you're you kind of implied that, and, and just the weight itself can sometimes be a health issue. Tell us a little bit more about that, about what's dangerous about food addiction. Well, I think, you know, once again, um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the the health problems of obesity are obvious, okay? You mm-hmm. know, yeah, but, sure. And, and what I've heard in the room um, from a lot of people um a lot of times when people tell their story, kind of like I'm telling mine now, they might bring a picture, they might bring um, something to go along with their story when they tell their story. And I've seen people bring their medical chart. And mm-hmm. I've seen people, um, and again, this is not, I'm not trying to say this is some magic cure. But from what I've seen in the research I've looked at, a lot of health concerns that we suffer from as a nation can be addressed by the food that we're eating. You know, we're we're basically killing ourselves with food because we're eating food that isn't food. We're eating things that come from factories or packages or boxes. So I've seen people, I've heard people say they were able to get off blood pressure medication. They were able to um, decrease or get off their diabetic medication, uh, reversing their diabetes if they have a certain type of diabetes. And I don't have diabetes myself, but I know like either the type 1 or the type 2 is sort of more easy to reverse by the diet. Um, that's a very common thing. I've seen uh, people having um, problems with their knees and hips and um, the joint problems kind of go away. Uh, I I know a friend um, who had, um, uh, oh, I forget the name. It's something like lupus. It's an autoimmune um, disease in the blood um, caused by too much yeast. Mm -hmm. Uh, It starts with a C. I'll think of the name. And um, when she, she, you know, got on the FA program and, and got ate the food plan her sponsor gave her, that just went away. And her doctor couldn't believe it. For me myself, um, I have Hashimoto's disease and and that is just a thyroid condition. And um it wasn't really affecting me at all. Um they he just somehow looked at my blood and my antibodies one day when I went to the endocrinologist and he said, Oh, you have Hashimoto's disease and I said, oh, yeah, my mom has a thyroid thing. So he told me, yes, you've inherited that. After being on this, um, eating this food for, you know, nine years or something, I went to my doctor and had my blood work done again, as I do on a regular basis. And he said, this is amazing. You don't show any antibodies in your blood anymore. You've reversed your Hashimoto's disease. You, you know, you, you're not even, um, whatever the word is, you're not. Uh, showing any conditions of Hashimoto's and and he just said tell me what what are you doing then he became very curious and he had a lot of questions uh, about what I eat but um mm-hmm. many many you know health problems I've I know of people that have um been able to really turn their health around um by by you know getting into this 12-step program and 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 really pay careful attention to the eating. And the other thing I want to say, for me personally, what was dangerous, and I, I didn't tell this story, but I but I tell it often, is um, 
once when I was a teenager, um, I loved to starve myself. You know, I felt really skinny and powerful if I was hungry, you know. And I, in the summertime, we lived out in the country and there wasn't much to do. And, you know, getting a tan was a big deal or so I thought. So I laid in the hot sun all day in a, in a hot, muggy East Coast summer, you know, 100 degrees and 100% humidity, and then thought it would be a good idea to get on my bike and ride a few miles to the convenience store, the, the country store on the corner, and buy myself, you know, of course, some junk. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't even make it up the hills before I passed out flat on my back. I passed out from from lack of eating, you know, and from, mm-hmm. from not having any food or water in my system. And, um, you know, that that's, I mean, I've never passed, I'm not usually a pass out kind of person, but, you know, you, you hear about people who are bulimic or anorexic, they, they end up having heart attacks because their right. body cannot, um, it, 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 the nerves don't have what they need, enough salt and stuff to, to fire and, and your heart just ends up having palpitations. So, you know, even if somebody is not obese, this is my point, even if somebody is not three or 400 pounds, the ramifications of abusing ourselves with food, restricting, throwing up, um, not eating enough. Um, you know, the other thing that I was doing, Anna, that, that was really um, dangerous was, you know, let's say if, if you're a diet expert like I thought I was, uh, you know you have a certain amount of calories to eat in a day. And by the way, you know, I've joined, uh, you know, many of us are uh, graduates of, you know, all the diet programs that are out there that you pay money for. Um, Mm -hmm. and when I joined Weight Watchers, you know, they have a point system. And so if I have a certain amount of points to spend, I'm not going to spend it on healthy food, like vegetables or fruit or protein. I was going to spend it on the junk. And so pretty soon, just like the alcoholics, there's a part in the big book that talks about the alcoholics are pretty soon. They're just taking alcohol in, in lieu of any food. They're not putting any real nutrition in their body. They're just drinking alcohol. I was just putting flour and sugar into my body in lieu of any real nutrition. And um, that's, that's one of the things that sort of, well, we'll talk about that later. But, um, you know, the white powders are the deadly powders. And, um, you know, flour and sugar can be very triggering for, for many of us. So um, there's a lot of dangers that exist that aren't just, from being morbidly obese. Good point. It's time for our break. Um, but Kay, thank you so much for all that you're sharing. This is important stuff and, and really bringing this to consciousness. It's, it's, it's really helpful. So I appreciate you sharing your story and I appreciate you, your diligent work in recovery. Um, we're going to take a break right now. Listeners, stay with us. We will be right back. And our topic today is Have Recovery, Will Travel, Hope for Expats and Other Intrepid Travelers. And my guest is KD, and she is in recovery from food addiction. Uh, you can look up that program, that 12-step program, foodaddicts.org, and learn more about that particular recovery program. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. For listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery, and if you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and our topic today is Have Recovery, Will Travel, and we're talking about uh, recovery from food addiction and also about uh, what it's like, and we'll be getting into this a little bit more in this part of the program, about what it's like to be in recovery and not living um, 
in a country where there is a lot of uh, recovery support. And my guest today is KD, and K is a person who is in long-term recovery from the serious disease of food addiction, and K is also a Unity student. She has traveled the world and lived outside of the United States, and uh, she has used uh, uh, the, all the resources available to her to maintain ties with both the recovery community and the Unity community, and uh, she's going to be sharing some more about that with us as well as about recovery from the disease of food addiction. Before I get back to my conversation with Kay, I invite you to join me for a brief moment, uh, the Serenity Minute, where we take a moment to relax, to um, open ourselves up to that presence of our higher power and feel that love and light that is that higher power as each of us understands it. So I do invite you to relax, to feel that uh, peacefulness as it moves throughout your body temple to let go and allow your breath to help you relax from the crown of your head all the way through your face and neck and arms and hands and feel that relaxation as it moves through the trunk of your body, through your legs and feet. And share with me this constructive idea. My life is in balance. My appetites are in divine order. And all is well. My life is in balance. My appetites are in divine order. And all is well. And now we take a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I hope that that was an opportunity for you to relax and feel that presence, that peace of your higher power and knowing that you are okay, that you are indeed in your higher power's care. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, K.D., and we're talking about recovery from food addiction and also what it's like to be in recovery and live in a place in the world where there may not be much um, face-to-face recovery support. So, um, Kay, before the break there, you were telling us about uh, your recovery from food addiction and about some of the, the ways that being active in that addiction can be dangerous to you and and uh, talking about uh uh, you know, getting into foodaddicts.org and beginning to work a recovery program. And so uh, my understanding is, is that pretty soon after you got into your recovery uh, process, a couple things happened. One is that you discovered unity, our unity uh, churches and unity principles, and also you moved outside of uh, the United States into a place, I think, where there wasn't much face-to-face recovery support. So talk to us a little bit about how all that ties together. How did you stay in recovery? How did you stay connected to the spiritual principles in unity? Because I think for you, they kind of mesh together. And um, tell, What's that like, living outside of, uh, where there's not a lot of face-to-face recovery support? Well, um, it, it was challenging, I have to say, but um, I, I love your question about, you know, how did you stay in recovery? You know, what I want to talk about, and I've talked a lot about my disease of food addiction and what that was like, but I haven't talked a lot about the recovery part of it. And, you know, what I want the listeners to know is that in, in eight months, I released 75 pounds. So I went from a 205-pound body to a 132-pound body. And it was very quick. And my body released the weight very quickly as soon as I stopped putting the poison into my system. Mm-hmm. So... um you know, it took my mind a while to catch up like, oh, wow, now I'm in a, in a right size body, right? So I, I definitely, the, the benefits I got, the, the peace of mind, um, the love that filled my heart, the, um, you know, I'm a much kinder person when I'm not using my drug of choice. Let's put it that way. And um, 
I knew that I, it wasn't really an option for me to, to stop working the program. And I think many of us, when we come into recovery, we see that all along we've been seeking a higher power and we find that higher power, you know, when, when we really, you know, have to start using that higher power. And, um, I just really didn't want to give that up. So for me, it wasn't really an option. Um, and, and it was a crossroads, you know, I could have just left and, um, I think many of us have the feeling and, and, you know, you hear this in many type recovery rooms, not just food addiction. Oh, I know what to do. I know what to eat now. I can just go out and do this on my own. Um, but I've never really seen anyone uh, come back into the room from, from going out and doing what we call research um, any thinner or more serene than when they left. So, you know, for me, the spiritual work is a, is an ongoing process that I really want to be a, a part of. And, I feel so blessed that I have this way of working the 12 steps, which is very spiritual and which goes hand in hand with the unity. So um, when I, I, I worked my, my food edit program for about three years in the States and we have a, quite a good network and in most of the major cities, there's really good meetings. And um, you know, you, the, all the list of meetings is on foodaddicts.org. So if anybody's thinking about it, you know, just look up a meeting and, um, you know, everyone's welcome in the meeting and, you know, you'll get hugs, you'll get greeted. It's, it's a beautiful um, place to go. But then, as, as you said, we ended up moving abroad for my husband's work. And um, I was really at a crossroads. I had a very, one of the beautiful things about coming into any recovery community um, is this beautiful network. When you go into these meetings, you see people with a twinkle in their eye and they, um, just have a joy about them, a quiet joy, and they can laugh at themselves. And there's there's a joyfulness in these rooms. And, you know, I, I wasn't used to that. I was very suspicious of that. Um, you know, I, I was kind of just suspicious of everything. And I thought, you know, this is going to be some kind of cult and they were going to try to induct, induct me into it or whatever when I came into the recovery room. Because I wasn't used to people just wanting to help me out of the goodness of their heart, you know. In recovery, we don't get anything from helping each other except the satisfaction of seeing another pe- person grow. And um, so that was a really beautiful thing. At the same time, my, you know, I got into the high numbers, into the 200s in my weight when, when I gave birth to my children. And I had never seen any numbers over 200 um, before. And, um, you know, in case, you know, for me, being able to gain um, 60 or 80 pounds in, in nine months showed me that, you know, I, I may indeed be a food addict. There's a lot of clues along the way of my story when I look back and I go, wow, you know. So um, when I came into the rooms, you know, the weight came off very, that was the main thing I wanted was the weight to come off. I just really wanted a diet. I, was, I cannot pretend to be some evolved spiritual person. I, I did not really care about that. But as I saw the love and support in these rooms and, and many of us that are in addiction programs come from, you know, maybe not the nicest families in the world, or maybe as I say, my mom loved me, but she had a funny way of showing it, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of criticism and stuff like that going on. So when I come into these rooms, I, I finally kind of find this beautiful, loving support network. And I really didn't want to lose that. And um, so when I ended up moving overseas, um, all of a sudden, all these people that I'd been in meetings with for all this time, they weren't calling me every day anymore. And I didn't see them at my weekly meetings at, every week. And I felt kind of like a leaf floating in a stream. I felt kind of lost and um, a, a little resentful, you know, like, you know, there I was out of sight and out of mind. And they were still going to their meetings every week and, and calling each other and um, nobody knew what the time zone was where I lived, and it, and it was all, all the effort had to come from my part. You know, nobody was coming to hand me my recovery on a silver platter. And in the States, it had been so easy because there were meetings that I could go to, and people would share rides to the meeting, and um, there, there's a beautiful network. So if, if anybody even is thinking about getting into recovery, I highly recommend it, no matter what your addiction is, because it's this beautiful support network. But that didn't really exist where, where I moved. And um, there was an AA meeting where I, where I lived. And, you know, I'll go to any recovery meeting. I don't care if it's for food or not because I know that 
the substance is all, it's the same. It doesn't matter if one person's using one thing and one person's using another. We're trying to fill up our God-shaped hole, right? And mm-hmm. that's what I learned. So right. I still went to the, the, the AA meeting there, but for a lot of different reasons, when you live in a country where people, there's, there's police on the corner with AK-47s, and you don't know if the traffic police are going to pull you over for, you know, because your skin's the wrong color and they're going to try to get a bribe out of you or whatever. You know, it was very stressful for me to get to these meetings. And um, I had to really look for other resources. And um, I, I was able to find them, but, but, it, but it wasn't without a lot of effort. And I think I really took for granted this beautiful program was so outlined for me. They told me, go to these meetings. They said, call these people. They said, eat this food. And, and, and all I had to do was be obedient. And I got recovery. And now, none of that stuff was ready-made. So I have a new appreciation for those who went before me and the people that get, go early to a meeting and set up the chairs and you know, do all, get the space in the church and whatever they do to get these meetings. I, I now have a new appreciation for that. But at any rate, I just pedaled the pavement and I plugged in and I used the internet and I found um, meetings that were not face-to-face. I was able to find phone meetings. I was able to find um, uh, internet meetings. I was able to, um, our organization has a list of people on the frontier in other countries. And I was able to, um, I I learned a little bit about technology. I learned about using Skype and um, voice over IP and how I could call and connect to people not using a cell phone and not going to pay a million dollar phone bill for airtime or whatever. Um, So I had to really, um, and nobody had, I didn't find anyone that had gone before me that could say, oh, you live in another country, this is what you do. So one of the things that brings me great joy now is connecting to other recovery people who are in this situation where they may find themselves leaving the States and going overseas for the first time. And I can now say, oh, this is what you'll do. This is mm-hmm. how, how you'll connect to people. Um, you know, this is what you need to download on your phone or your computer and, and you can use these things. So I found myself <clears throat> really working the program in a different way. And, um, and, and, and it was all good. But it did take some effort, and um, but I knew that I did not want to go back to my addiction, and that's I sort of just thought it was either or, you know, either I stay in recovery and keep, you know, they sometimes you hear people talk about being in recovery and, and having an addiction as trying to walk up a down escalator. So the escalator's moving down and you're walking up, and if you stop moving, if you stop working your program, guess what? It takes you down. And you just got to keep walking up those up that escalator. And that's kind of what I was doing. So I was able to find other fellows who were on the same continent as me and close to my time zone. And um, I was able to find other kind of meetings that weren't face to face. And I was able to keep plugging in. Um, and, and that was, you know, a really beautiful thing. And I and I remain grateful. And and if I may, um mm-hmm. There's a beautiful page in, in if anybody has a, a copy of the AA Big Book, in the fourth edition, they have, they have forwards to every edition. But in the, the last paragraph of the forward to the fourth edition talks about technology and recovery. And, and if I may, I'd like to just read this. Sure, sure. It says, um, while our literature has preserved the integrity of the AA message, sweeping changes in society as a whole are reflected in new customs and practices within the fellowship. Taking advantage of technological advances, for example, AA members with computers can participate in meetings online, sharing with fellow alcoholics across the country or around the world. In any meeting, anywhere, AAs share experience, strength, and hope with each other in order to stay sober and help other alcoholics. Modem to modem or face to face, AAs Speak the language of the heart in all its power and simplicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Kay, how do you think your recovery has benefited from what you're just telling us about having to do that work of really finding people and finding ways to connect? <clears throat> well, I think I mentioned before that a part of my disease and, you know, is, is the mental obsession, which I mentioned before. And a part of that mental obsession is really wanting to control things. 
you know, if, if, if only I can control these circumstances, everything will be fine. And if only this person will, you know, do what I say or, um, you know, whatever, um, you know, everything will be okay. And, and I was, I had really been used to working my program a certain way, you know, um, other people in the program, you know, do these things and do that thing. And so it must be this way. I must have to do it exactly this way. And all of a sudden, this way was not available to me. And so, you know, what I want to say to anybody listening who who may be facing a move overseas is that, um, you know, thinking outside the box is not a bad thing. And as long as we are committed to our sobriety or abstinence or, you know, whatever we call it, there's a way. And, and with our higher powers help, we can do that. And um, you know, I now am a lot more open-minded um, when it comes to, you know, how am I going to get filled up on recovery? Because that's really what we do when we come into a 12-step program is we fill up on recovery instead of on our addiction. Mm-hmm. So how can I get um, the support of my fellows? How can I connect with those other people who know what I'm going through? How can I listen to the experience and strength in a meeting? You know, now, um, and that brings us to the topic of podcasts, you know, Many um, sites online have beautiful resources where you can download or listen to um, recordings of meetings. Um, there's, you know, the Bill and Charlie tapes. Um, uh, there's another uh, guy named Herb K who has some beautiful um, teachings online. And I really had to begin to to use some of these resources. And and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't always listen to another food addict. Let's say. But we do have in our program, there are CDs. And now with the beautiful advance of technology and wonderful worker bees behind the scenes, we, we can download MP3s. If you go to that website you mentioned, foodaddicts.org, there's MP3s. There's other stories of other food addicts that are now downloadable um, that anybody can listen to. Um, if you go to a meeting, you can, um, you can borrow a CD and listen to a CD of a story. Um, so with technology, there's, there's a lot of other ways to listen to the stories because that's what fills me up. What I learned in the recovery rooms is that's my medicine. My medicine today is staying, you know, we might call it prayed up, but I got to stay filled up on my recovery speak and um, to overcome the negativity in my mind. So thank God that there's technology. I learned how to use Skype. Um, and that's when the other, the other part of this story is that <clears throat> I discovered a unity church near my house. I was so lucky. Oh my gosh, Anna, I lived only like less than a mile from a unity church. It was so wonderful. Mm-hmm. And um it I I was so blown away that there was a a a, a spiritual group that um that really explained things in a way that made sense to me. You know, um it wasn't just this blind faith of accepting, you know, sort of Bible stories that never sort of made sense to me and sort of like, you know, that kind of thing. And the marriage of me coming into recovery and, and starting to learn the twelve steps and those principles and then learning the principles of unity, which says each one of us has the divine Christ inside of us and you know, we just need to connect to that and we're all fundamentally good. You know, we're not bad. Um, you know, we're all have the divine inside of us. It w- it was such a beautiful marriage. And I really, the other thing too, is that I mentioned about getting into the really high numbers of my obesity when I was pregnant. My children were young and I really wanted them to have some kind of foundation. And so finding this unity church was so, so much of a blessing. And they just loved it. You know, they loved going to their Sunday school and it was just such a positive place. And my husband had also had some sort of negative experience in his childhood and he even he said oh wow this unity church is amazing so he he was kind of blown away we were all just blown away by the loving welcoming um friendliness of the place which is also sort of how i've described coming into recovery meetings so when we moved overseas there i knew that um charles fillmore one of the co-founders of unity he he had done radio broadcasts and his broadcast on this weird shortwave radio had reached over to nigeria somehow so there's a right. unity church in, in Nigeria, but I didn't live anywhere near Nigeria. And mm-hmm. um there was no unity church and there there was a lot of um sort of other sort of fundamental Christian uh missionary stuff going on in, in where I lived. But and I tried to go to it, but it just 
couldn't float my boat. I just didn't really agree. And um, so I said, okay, well, what can we do? You know, what, how can I plug in? Because these messages are here. And more and more over that time, different Unity churches were now um, doing, um, you know, like a simulcast over the Internet. And you could go onto YouTube and you could watch a service. And um, after the fact, it wasn't quite the same thing as going on Sunday morning because, you know, I was eight hours ahead. But it was such a blessing to kind of plug into this thing. And then, um, you know, I love listening to I'm just an eternal student. I went to um, Unity's website and I signed up to take SEE classes and um, I started downloading podcasts. So I really loved listening to Bob Brock talk about um, he would read Charles Fillmore's um, original sermon, so mm-hmm. hearing it straight from the horse's mouth, right? That's right. And, um, mm-hmm. and I was just so interested in studying everything I could about unity and, you know, Emily Cady and, um, you know, all these early teachings. And so I started downloading podcasts. I put, um, you know, Bob Brock's on there. I put yours I'm, and yours. You, I can't even say enough about yours. So here I am, this person who is completely fired up and passionate about recovery and completely fired up and passionate about unity. And then there's an angel called Anna Shaw who has a show that marries the two of them together. Mm-hmm. What more perfect thing could there be for this person living out in the middle of nowhere? You know, I was in um, East Africa. Then I was on an island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. I mean, you talk about there's literally no point farther away from the U.S. on this earth than where I was living. Where I was living is where they were finding pieces of MH370, the missing plane that nobody still ever found. Hmm. And wow. it was really the middle of nowhere. So to have this beautiful technology that I could download these beautiful recovery stories and listen to filmmakers and um, people who are really um, counselors and working in recovery and it was just so inspirational to me to, to have this uh, available to me. And so I didn't have to sit around and feel sorry for myself. Oh, there's no unity. There's no recovery program. That's my program. And um, anytime we went on a trip, we were very blessed in that because we lived on that side of the earth, whenever it was time for a vacation, we didn't really want to come back to the States because we knew we'd be back at the States sometime. So we said, well, let's go see what there is on this side of the earth. And so, as you mentioned, I've been, any, the first thing I do when we're going somewhere is I look up and see, okay, I'm going to be in Barcelona. Where's the English-speaking AA meeting, you know? Um, all I wanted, it was, like a, it was like Tom Hanks on Castaway. You know, I'm just on that island all alone by myself, but yet there's all this resources that I can use if, if I choose to avail myself of it. So that's really my message for, you know, people who are, um, you know, because I'm determined I don't want to go back to 243 pounds. I don't want to be raging out at my kids and treating them unkindly because the food is more important than me having a relationship with my family. And and if I, you know, don't want to work my program, I I know that's where I'm headed. Thank you so much. Our, our time is at an end here, but Kay, I want to thank you so much for um, your working in recovery and for all that you've shared today it's you've just really uh made a profound uh, statement in so many many levels and uh touched my heart and i know you've touched the heart and mind and i think kind of down into the soul of all of us so thank you for who you are and thank you so much for being my guest today and thank you for listening to spirit of recovery and the other uh great programs here on uh unity online radio and uh for doing the work. You're you're a bright light. So thanks. Thank you so much. I appreciate thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Listeners, thank you. Thanks for being here. And thanks for shining your light because we feel it. We feel it coming back. So you have a great week. And we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org.
If you or someone you love has ever failed at anything, remember, accomplishments are often built on successful failures. Our greatest heroes have survived setbacks and losses of some kind. What makes them heroic is their capacity to have compassion for themselves, to know when to reach out for help, and to always, always start again. We learn to do something by first believing and then by doing it. In Unity, we celebrate the spiritual gift of strength given to us by our Creator. There is an unlimited amount of strength and courage available to you now. Trust it and expand your life. The result will be positive changes in you and the world around you. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Aaron Debbie Smith, and Meredith Tolleson, we will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soulable animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.